0: Well, good morning. Welcome to our fifth week of being scattered together. Um, I, I'm really praying, just as we said, that, that last week your Easter celebrations, wherever it was you gathered uh, in our scattered ways and, and interacted with these, the, the things we're sending out, I pray it was just a real blessing to you and, and whoever you were gathered with. I'm so grateful to those of you who passed this on, passed this service on to others so that they could engage in our, our Easter celebration. I've heard already just some amazing reports uh, from amongst our church and really churches all around the world, really, as as people heard the Easter message in a way that just felt more comfortable. Maybe they wouldn't come into this space on an Easter Sunday, but they were willing to engage uh, in their own home and the safety of that place. And so let's just be continuing to pray for God's work through those that we send out to. But man, I just want you to know I'm missing you still so much. This is continuing to just be hard on all of us. And I want you to know I'm just thinking of you. I'm praying for you. Please do the same for me. And we're just trusting that God is going to sustain us and carry us during this time uh, until we can be at a place where we can all be gathering together once again. Um, So also just to let you know, we're going to just switch things up a little bit this morning. As we come now, we're going to begin with our message and actually do our prayer time after this. So look for our our prayer slide and the ways we can pray after the message. And I think you'll understand when we get there why it was that I chose to do it this way today. So let's jump right into God's Word. If you have a Bible there with you, if you would turn to the book of Ephesians, back into our Ephesians series today, beginning chapter 3, beginning at verse 14. If you can find that in in your Bible, whatever translation you're going to use, we're going to use the English Standard Version here today, and I'm going to actually ask Beth, our Children's Family Ministry Director, if she would come now and read this passage for us, and then we'll dig in together.
1: For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, forever and ever. Amen. This is the Word of God.
0: Okay, give me a moment just to pray for us right now and just ask God's blessing on this time and His Word, and then we'll dig in together. Spirit of God, we are asking you to accomplish incredible things this morning. As we come to your Word, this living Word, would you speak powerfully through it to our hearts? Wherever it is we're gathered right now, whatever else is going on in our lives, whatever things are are against us or or weighing on us or whatever, would you just give our, our... our hearts eyes the ability to focus in this morning on what it is you want to show us from your word right now and would you speak powerfully to us accomplish whatever it is you want to accomplish in and through us today through this time and your word i'm believing you to do it i'm trusting you to do it oh god accomplish that purpose that you have whatever it is in each and every one of us and as i always ask now eternal god would you move and govern my tongue to speak your truth amen well um, I think one of the most heartbreaking characters in Victor Hugo's classic novel-turned-musical Les Miserables has got to be the character Eponine, Eponine Tanadier, which, yeah, I, I get the irony even in saying something like the most heartbreaking character in a book that's actually the title means The Miserable Ones. I mean, aren't they all kind of... Yeah, but I think her story is actually one of the most heartbreaking. And, and the reason, if you haven't read that book or seen the musical or the film adaptation, is very simply because of, of her silent, unspoken burden that she carries throughout much of this story, really the latter half of, of her life, in love with a young revolutionary, Marius, who actually just happens to be desperately in love with a different young woman, Cosette. And, and kind of seeing Eponine really is just kind of a a close trusted friend he just sees her that way and it's just heartbreaking because she's really desperately in love with him or although it's not at all those same circumstances I've shared with most of you a number of times over the years about my, my own relationship with my wife in those early days we talked about you know how it was we ended up meeting and getting together but one aspect of our relationship there that early on that I don't focus on quite as much when I tell it is the amount of time that it took once we'd met in order for our hearts purposes to align which is really just a nice poetic way of saying that when, when I met my wife I fell for her hard right away and, and you know it just just took a little bit a little bit more time for her to realize that she felt the same way about me a little bit of a waiting period there um sure it's difficult for you to understand how that could be, but maybe not. Um, but that, that was our experience. My, my, my point in, in all of this is that this is an all-too-familiar plot. This whole idea of unrequited, kind of one-sided love, and it just shows up everywhere. You see it in Shakespeare plays, rock ballads, Netflix, dramas, whatever it is. Most likely, I think, just because it's such a common part of our human experience. And listen, if you've ever been in a situation like that before yourself, you already know you loving someone is an entirely different thing from knowing that you have that person's love in return, right? Like those are different things. Well, because the reason being obviously because you need both of them, right? Not just loving, but you need being loved in return. That's required. You need both in order for a relationship to actually exist, it's the whole foundation upon which a relationship begins and then which, upon which you can continue to build and grow that relationship over the weeks and years and months to come. And I mention all that as we dig back into our series in the book of Ephesians this morning because of something that I said last week in our Easter message coming out of 1 Peter. Namely, that although we can't physically see Jesus, the way we make use of, actually really what I was saying, return to use of, that living hope that we have in him, we said is by loving him. you Remember that? We love him. We love him. like so remember, Like Peter said, though you do not see him, you love him. But Okay, so, of course, given everything that I just said about the foundation upon which a relationship is built, uh, our loving of Jesus, okay, our loving of Him, that, that's, that's only half the equation, right? Like, like your love for Jesus, you loving Him, like the same as like Eponine's love for Marius, it, it's great. It, it feels good. It's, it's inspiring and motivating for you to do all kinds of things for that person. But it can only take you so far. Right? You, you need the, love, the return of love from that other person. In this case, Jesus. We need the return of His love for us in order to have that relational foundation established and then upon which we can build. And what Paul writes here in the closing verses of Ephesians chapter 3 actually has everything to do with that other half of the equation about Jesus' love for you, Jesus' love for me, a love that Paul says there in verse 19 is a love that surpasses knowledge even. That's the kind of love that he has for us. Now, no, listen, none of that is to suggest, particularly given the stories that I mentioned as we began, none of that is to suggest that that we are the loving initiators of this reconciled relationship with God and that God just eventually kind of came to to share in this love with him, with us over time. No, that's not what I'm saying. In fact, the Bible is very clear that God alone is the initiator of this relationship that we have through his son. Going so far as to tell us in places like 1 John 4, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins, or as Paul himself says in Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, that is while we were doing anything but loving him, Christ died for us. And, 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 and that's really the whole point of what we just spent all of last Easter weekend celebrating, right? That God has undeniably demonstrated his love for any, every one of us and for all time through the death and resurrection of Jesus, making a reconciled relationship with God for every single one of us possible. But if that's the case, like, like if, if he's already done that, I suppose the question could legitimately be asked, well then, what more is there really to say about it? Like We, we, we know it, right? What more can you say? Why is Paul so concerned here in this passage and in this prayer of his that we know anything more about the love of God than when, when it's already being demonstrated so conclusively in our redemption through his blood? It's a great question. Well, I think the reason what Paul writes here is still so important, even for us today, is not simply because of it's just like a balancing out of the equation, providing evidence of the fact that a foundation of our relationship with Jesus truly has been laid, but listen, because of what his prayer reveals to us about the nature of that relationship that God initiated with us what it reveals about the greatness of His power, and what His prayer reveals to us about one of the key roles of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. His prayer shows us all those things, the the nature of our relationship with God, the greatness of His power, and one of the key roles of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. So if you still have your Bible there with you, or a Bible app, would you open it up again to this passage? Would you follow along with me now as Paul reveals to us God's desire that we might be more and more rooted and grounded in his love? Okay, so let's look first of all at the nature of our relationship with God. The nature of our relationship with God. Now, as I mentioned two weeks ago, if you look at our passage in verse 14, it begins with the exact same words here in this verse, That Paul began the whole chapter with back in verse one. For this reason, he says, which means that, and remember, because we said he went off on this little kind of rabbit trail, and it was really important the stuff he said. But he starts in verse 1, for this reason, and then he goes off on this long rabbit trail about, about his ministry to, to Gentiles and all that. But now he comes back to it here in verse 14. But what that means, though, is that we're not going to find the reason, whatever reason Paul had for this humble, grateful prayer to God the Father, it's not found in the verses preceding verse 14. It's going to be found in the verses preceding verse 1, where he first started the prayer. And I think, actually, it's found particularly In verses 13 to 22 of chapter 2, look there if you have a Bible with you. Now, if you haven't been with us up until now, you've just forgotten. What Paul has been demonstrating and explaining this whole time through the letter is this incredible mystery of God's will revealed in the fullness of time to unite all things in heaven and on earth together in Christ. You see that in chapter 1 and verse 10. And after describing the immeasurable greatness of His power as well as the immeasurable riches of His grace in order to bring about His will, Paul describes one of the key evidences of his will actually being carried out in the reconciling of these warring races of Jews and Gentiles, bringing them together, destroying, he says here in verses 13 to 22, destroying the dividing wall of hostility between them, creating an entirely new humanity through Jesus' death and resurrection, which we now know is the church. It's this, what he describes as the household of God. This building of living stones upon which Jesus is the cornerstone and in which his spirit dwells as, as this living temple. That's, that's what's being created. And the point is, as Paul reflects again on that incredible evidence, like, God, you're really doing this. You really are bringing about this will to bring all things together in Christ. It drives him now to bow down in this grateful prayer that we have recorded here in this passage, and this is actually the second prayer that Paul records in the book of Ephesians. But as you look more closely at Paul's prayer here, particularly at these two requests, specific requests that he makes in his prayer, I think it reveals, first of all, much more about the nature of our reconciled relationship with God. That is what our relationship with God is supposed to look like. And what those two requests are, if you look at verses 16 through 19, are that these newly reconciled believers might be given strength by God's Spirit to do two things. That, they might, that, that Christ might dwell in their hearts through faith and that they would be filled with all the fullness of God. Those are the two main requests. That Christ might dwell in their hearts through faith and that they be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, yeah. Right off the bat, I'm sure the question going through many of your minds has got to be like, wait wait a minute, isn't, isn't Paul writing to Christians here? Okay, well then why, why then is he praying that Christ would dwell in their hearts? It, isn't he already doing that? And the answer is yes. Yes, Paul is writing to Christians in whom Jesus already dwells by faith, which means that, that should give us a clue then. It means Paul has something else in mind in writing that, Do you see? He's got something else in mind. And what I believe that is, what he's actually praying for is not that Christ would dwell in their hearts by faith to begin with, like the first time, but that he would dwell in their hearts more and more as the Spirit empowers that to happen. And if you follow the the train of Paul's thought here, his second request, that they be filled with all the fullness of God, that actually helps to make that even more clear. Because, follow me here, if if you look back at the second half of verse 17, You see there, he says the result of Christ dwelling in their hearts by faith is that they will be rooted and grounded in love. Interesting that he doesn't say as Christ dwells more and more in their hearts by faith that they'll be rooted and grounded in him, rooted and grounded in God. He says they'll be rooted and grounded in love. Love is the descriptive term that describes the, the filling of Christ and his work for us and in us. That's incredible but then just but then keep reading keep reading as that happens as we are rooted and grounded in love and, and the, these people are, are given strength to comprehend that love of God and all of its breadth and height and all of this and Paul says it's this love that surpasses knowledge even he says they become increasingly filled with all the fullness of God wow now now there's so much that we could say about that already but as it relates to understanding Paul's two prayer requests here. What that reveals is that although, yes, Jesus does, He does come to dwell in our hearts by faith, the moment we're saved, there is, what he's saying is there is a greater fullness, a greater fullness of relationship with him still to be had, but that can only be experienced as we come to understand the love of Christ more and more deeply. It's the same reason in the book of Philippians, Paul can say, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. It's like well, Don't you know it? He's like, yeah, but I need more of it. There's so much more to know. I need to experience it and know it more and more in my life. And that's actually what he's praying now for these believers in Ephesus. He's saying, I want them to know it more and more as well. And now listen, Now, this is actually where your everyday relationships with those that you know and love can actually help you understand how this works. Because for in the same way that you don't just build and grow into your love for your spouse up until the day that that you're married and you stand there, okay, we're husband and wife, okay, boom. And you just cease all and any further growth and investment into that relationship. Or, like, okay, marriage check, done. No, like, you continue to build in it. At least you better be. You, you should be doing that. In that same way, so your relationship with God that begins the moment Christ first dwells in your heart by faith is meant to be one of continual growth, continual deepening of that relationship for the remainder of your life. It means, actually, that the nature of your reconciled relationship with God is to be one of continual growing. How do you do that? Well, how do you continue to build and grow your earthly relationships? What do you do there? You, you spend regular time together. That's, isn't that how you build a relationship when you're, you're in love with someone? You, you spend regular time together. You prioritize Time with them over other stuff, over other things that you want to do. You 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 talk together. You share deeply with one another. You walk through difficult experiences together. All of that. Okay, boy. Yeah, those are exactly the same practices by which you continue to grow in your relationship with Him and continue to comprehend the depth of His love for you more and more. The, the way we do that, it's very simple practices. We we pray to Him. We talk to Him. We we hear from Him by spending time in His Word, regularly doing this. We we spend time with His people. We gather with His people regularly because God often speaks through His people as well. These are are the practices that that we do in order to continue to grow. And, And He's saying here, as we do that, as we invest, as we build on this foundation, you continue to experience the fullness of God more and more as you do so. But in light of that, the question then I think that every one of us needs to honestly ask ourselves, really, and, 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 and really ask yourself this is, okay, but do I truly want more of the fullness of God in my life? Like, really, do, do I really want that at all? Particularly living in such fearful, uncertain times as these is, is greater depth of of God's presence, a greater sense of his love and closeness and the peace that results from from having that, that greater sense of his closeness and depth, is that something that I'm truly seeking? Because the reality is a lot of us would say, yeah, it is, that's what I want, but we're still not pursuing it. Not in a regular sense anyway. And the sad reality is that a lot of us are just kind of like, okay, is my relationship with God secure? Am I saved? Okay. And we actually do kind of stop investing in it. That's not the case for all of us, I know. Some, some of us are, are great at just like continuing to press into God more and more and build. But for some of us, we're just kind of cool with where things are at. And we're not making use of just these simple means regularly by which the depth and, and fullness, greater depth and fullness of our relationship is freely made possible. We're, we're just not regularly making use of these things. Prayer, time in God's word, fasting, uh, 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 generosity and giving, uh, time with God's people in this church. And, and listen, I know, I get it. Okay, I, I, you hear a list like that, and it sounds like some kind of legalistic to do list. So I guess I got to jump through these hoops. But listen, none of that at all has anything to do with earning God's love or acceptance. Uh, you, any more than taking your wife out on a date or spending an afternoon with your kids makes you more their spouse or their parent. Nor is this about you having to maintain these things perfectly and exactly, or everything falls apart. Oh, you didn't read your Bible today? Okay, back to zero, start again. No, that, no, no, that's, that's not what this is. These are simply the means by which any of us grows in a relationship and builds on that foundation of love that is already firmly established from the moment we put in our faith in Jesus. If we want to build into it, if we truly desire that greater depth and fullness, these are the things, these are the practices of what we do to build that relationship and maybe the point is maybe we didn't even know that there was more and so that's what paul is also revealing to us here there's so much more to know there's so much more to depth and, and beauty and, and and greatness and unfathomable riches in god's love and he wants you to know it more so think about it for yourself some of you i know you you you're doing this great you're, you're killing it you, you, you're regularly in God's Word, regularly in prayer doing all this. But maybe if you're not, maybe, you, maybe that's just something like you're like, okay, I know I need to do that more, but it feels overwhelming. Okay, what's one thing? What is one of those practices? Prayer, greater time, regular time in prayer. Maybe it's spending more time in God's Word. Maybe it's regular meeting with people, obviously right now in a distance way. What, what are those ways that you can engage in? One of those ways, and you can commit to beginning this week. They're going to say, this week I'm going to start and make this my regular practice in the weeks to come. Because listen, the promise of God's word here to every single one of us is that as we do that, as Christ dwells and his vast, immeasurable love for you dwells more and more fully in your heart as you build into that relationship with him, you will daily be filled with more and more of the fullness of God. And you're going to know the peace and the hope and the strength that's found there and found in no other place. So what's one thing that you can begin doing this week that's going to continue to build into your relationship with God? Would you commit to doing that? Have a plan to start and then begin it this week. Begin now, and you're going to see, almost immediately you're going to begin to see the difference that that will make. Okay, moving on. That's what Paul's prayer reveals about the nature of our relationship with God. The next thing his prayer reveals to us is the greatness of his power. The greatness of His power. Now, we already looked in much more detail at the immeasurable greatness of God's power in the message we did a number of weeks ago out of uh, chapter 1 and verse 19, looking at how God's power was even sufficient to raise Jesus from the dead. And if He could do that, is there any other obstacle which his power isn't sufficient enough to overcome but but what Paul reveals about God's power here in this very well-known doxology in verses 20 and 21 is is, it's more general in nature yes but once again Paul reminds us that this power of God is for us and that is that it is at work within us so look with me there look at verses 20 and 21 And what's interesting to see here is is that the way Paul's description of God's power actually grows out of it, it, it's built directly out of everything he just said about knowing the love of God that surpasses knowledge in greater and greater measure. It grows out of that, which I believe shows us at least two things. First of all, it shows us that Christ dwelling more and more deeply in our hearts, comprehending the depths of the love of God for us, is something that requires the power of God in order to be accomplished. It's not something we can just do on our own. Otherwise, why does he bother to ask? So that's the first thing we see. We we need God's power working with us in order for this to actually be accomplished. But it also shows us, the second thing, it shows us Paul's confidence. Confidence that God can and will meet these requests on behalf of those he's praying for. He's like, God, I know you can do this. I know you have power to do this. And he's speaking that out to God in his prayer. I know you're able to do this and, and way more. In fact, that's what's so, to me, striking and so beautiful about Paul's doxology here is his acknowledgement. Not only does he believe God is able to easily meet these requests, he believes he's able to do abundantly more than he could ever think to ask on their behalf. So the, the way this is listed here in the English Standard Version is that he says, God's ability to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, in the New International Version, which we often use in in our pew Bible, it's stated this way, God's ability, he says, to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine. I love how Eugene Peterson puts it in his modern-day paraphrase of the New Testament, it's called The Message, uh, uh, stating Paul's confidence in God's power simply this way, God can do anything, you know, I love that, God can do anything, you know. Far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. Love that. And when you think about what that means for your own life today, I think it has at least two very important applications. First of all, it means the love of God for you in Christ is so powerful. is so great that all the powers of sin, all the powers of death that reigned in you before Jesus dwelt in your heart through faith, were were completely powerless, were unable to keep him from you, to to keep him out of his reach. He, He was easily able to break through those things and get to you. And it also means that that same love is still powerfully working in you now that Jesus has come to dwell in your heart through faith. So that he can enable you, he's, he's working with you to continue to grow and deepen your relationship with him. So they're not trying to rely on your own strength alone. This this love of God that, that is constantly able to reach you and is able to empower you, whether for the first time or again and again and again. It's exactly as Paul says in Romans 8, 38 and 39, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, height, or depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the first thing we see, that there's nothing that can... His power is so great, His love for you is so great, expressed in His love, right? It can reach you. So that's more of an encouragement. But the second thing it shows us actually is a bit more of a challenge. I want you to really... Take this to heart as, as it's really affected me and I'm praying it will have the same meaning to you. Second thing that this means is that it means many of our prayers today, the prayers that we pray regularly to God, are far too small. Things we ask God for are far too small and based far too often only on what we believe is possible in our own human understanding of power and not in His incredibly, immeasurably great power for us to believe. We base it on what we think is possible in our own strength and not what we believe can be possible in His. It's exactly as theologian N.T. Wright stated this way. Listen, read verse 20 carefully, he says. Read verse 20 carefully, then think of what God might do in you and through you, in in you as a community, in you as an individual. Now, reflect on the fact that God is perfectly capable of doubling that, of tripling that, going so far beyond that, that you would look back at the present moment and wonder how you could have ever been so short-sighted. Yeah. And if that's true, if that's the case, the question you and I ought to be asking ourselves both both individually as well as collectively as a church are these things. First of all, we ought to be asking ourselves, what are we not asking God for right now? What are we not asking God for right now because we don't understand how incomparably great His power truly is? The second question is, what has God already given us? What has He already given us above and beyond what we asked for that we've been unwilling to receive, that we've actually been pushing away and rejecting because we foolishly believed the best things God could give us are only what we could imagine to ask for ourselves and not the things that He knew we truly needed. I know we often take time in some of these messages to stop and discuss these things, I wonder if it's worth just taking a minute to stop and just, in the quietness of your own heart, to just stop and pause and reflect on those two things. What am I, what am I not asking you for right now, God? Because I don't understand how great your, your power and your love for me truly is. And secondly, what ha- are you giving me that I truly need right now that I'm rejecting because I think the only things that you could give me are the, the, the greatest thing you could give me is just what I could think to ask for we' just take a, a minute or so just to reflect on that, and, and if you need to, just a simple prayer of confession and repentance. God forgive me. I, I've thought far too little of you. God forgive me. I, I, anything that's from your hand it, is necessary. I'm sorry for pushing away these, these hard things because I thought those couldn't be from you. I'm sorry for pushing away these difficult or weighty things because I didn't understand that you, that that actually that is what I needed. I was asking for this, but you knew what I needed was this. Forgive me. Help me to receive what I truly need in order
1: to grow in depth in my relationship and my love for you.
0: Okay. So that's, What Paul's prayer reveals about the nature of our relationship with God as well as the greatness of his power. The last thing we see revealed by Paul's prayer, and this will be shorter here, is just we see one of the key roles of the Holy Spirit. One of the key roles of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. That's what we see here. Now, Generally speaking, the role of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is to be the promised presence of Jesus in the life of the believer, that that other helper Jesus promised that he would send in John 14 after he returned to the Father. He said, I'm going to ask the Father and he'll send you another helper. That's that's generally speaking who the Holy Spirit is. He's the presence of Jesus continually with all of us. But if you look back at verse 16, listen to what Paul prays here. He says, I'm praying that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Okay, so revealing to us here that it's only through the enabling power of the Spirit that Christ can dwell in our hearts more and more fully day by day as we submit to His his guidance and, and leading. In fact, if you can remember back to what Paul prayed, uh, what he said back in chapter 1 about the role of the Holy Spirit, in the first prayer back in chapter 1 and verse 17, saying this, he prays, "...that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom..." And revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. And then going on to say that what the Spirit is enlightening the eyes of our hearts to see is the powerful working of God through Christ on our behalf in order to bring about His will to unite all things in heaven and on earth once again to Him. The Spirit of, of revealing, of enlightenment. That gives us this power as it relates to our relationship to Jesus. So so you see, look at this. That means what Paul is also teaching us through his prayer is that one of the key roles of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer is to point. That's what he does. He, He points to you again and again and again in all kinds of different ways. He points you again and again to Jesus and then strengthening you with God's immeasurably great power enables you to actually experience both deeper relational growth with Jesus as well as to be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of His love for you. That's what the Holy Spirit wants and is tirelessly working to cause you to see and know in your life. Are you listening to Him? Are you following what He's showing you? Because here's the thing, as, as the Spirit carries out His essential role in your life, combined with your own investment in deeper relational intimacy with God, the confident hope is that we are all, we will all be, individually as well as collectively as a church, daily be filled more and more with the fullness of God. Even more than we can even understand what that means, we are filled more and more with it and experience what it is the more and more that we do it. Okay, so I, I trust that you see now that what Paul had to say here about the love of God for us, namely like his side of the relational equation, was, was still very much worth knowing. And in fact, this is a whole different message, but one of the really cool things about studying the prayers of Paul in the New Testament is actually it has a ton of like really helpful, instructive things that we learn from his prayers for other people that can actually help us to learn about how we ought to be praying for other people. When was the last time that you, you prayed for someone else? That, that they would grow more and more in the depth of their love for Christ and their knowledge and, and rooting in his love. It's, it's another whole different message. I'm not going to go there, but we can learn so much about how to pray ourselves from studying his prayers. But as we close this morning, What I want to leave you with are just actually two final thoughts about why it is that Paul is praying this prayer for these Gentile believers in Ephesians, or in Ephesus, and ultimately praying this prayer for us today as well to begin with. Like, why is he even praying this for them? The first reason is this. Just before he went to the cross, having loved his own who were in the world and loving them to the end, that's what John 13 says, Jesus took his disciples with him, to the Garden of Gethsemane after eating one last Passover with them, one last Passover meal. And what is in what is now referred to as Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17, we have recorded for us Jesus actually praying for you, praying for me today after he's prayed for his disciples. He, he prays for us. Saying this in John 17, 20, Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, and that the world may believe that you sent me. And then he concludes that prayer in verse 26, saying, I have made known to them your name. I will continue to make it known. Why? That the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Which means, listen, the first reason Paul is praying this prayer is to see that desire of Jesus' heart truly carried out in your life and in mine. That the same depth of love that that the Son had with the Father would, would be in us in greater and greater fullness. That's why he's praying this for us. We would know that more and more and experience it really truly in our lives, just how deeply and unfathomably loved we are. second reason Paul is praying this is so that God's ultimate purpose in saving us might be carried out. So that God's reason for saving us to begin with might be carried out. That's why he's also praying this prayer. We see that in Romans 8, 28 and 29, where he says, and we know that God works all things together for the good, for those who love him and who are called according to his good purpose. Verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Why? To be conformed into the image of his Son. You know that. That That's God's ultimate purpose in saving you, to make you look more and more like Jesus. That's the other reason Paul's praying this. That we might grow, as we grow, to understand more of his love, that we would look more And more like Jesus. I see, this is why Paul's teaching on the love of God that we have here is still so, so essential for us to read and to understand today. As well as why he's praying this for us in the first place. So that the love of God, Jesus prayed, would be in us, would be. And then it would fill us with an ever-increasing fullness. And so that as we are filled more and more with His presence in our hearts, we might be conformed more and more into the image of His Son. That that, that more and more we might look and think and act and love like the one who first loved us, Jesus. And being increasingly rooted and grounded in in His incredible love for us ourselves have the basis of, of our true relationship laid upon which we can continue to build that continue to grow and invest in, bringing him, bringing God this ever-increasing glory that Paul speaks of at the end of his prayer. Glory in the church, glory in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever to him, forever and ever to him.